0: I know that this coming Thursday is Thanksgiving and we've, we talked about Thanksgiving on Wednesday night at prayer meeting and we'll talk about Thanksgiving a lot more tonight in our community, uh, community Thanksgiving service here. But let's talk about a little something different this morning. Let's discuss something that we can do, we can literally physically do and choose to do ourselves that has the potential to make this holiday season just a little bit better for each one of us. Make it just a little bit more special for us. Have you ever noticed when you're reading something sometimes or you're listening to something sometimes, one particular part of something will just keep jumping out at you, sort of slap you in the face a little bit? That's what happened to me when I was reading the Scripture from Mark chapter 6. One word kept jumping out at me over and over and over again, It's only used twice, but for some reason it kept jumping out, and that was the word many, M-A-N-Y, many. To translate that into southern for us, it means a whole bunch of. That's what many means. It's a whole bunch of something. And in this story, when he starts talking about a whole bunch of things, he's talking about a whole bunch of people that were helped and a whole bunch of things to do. Now, what interested me most in this story was not just the many, It was the way the story ended because we all know what it's like to have a whole bunch of things to do. I don't know about you guys, I know in my own life that there's been some times where there was so much to do, so much to get done that I thought it would be sort of neat just to leave and not leave a forwarding address. Just go away and let everybody else deal with all the stuff that had to go on. We have this interesting concept in our minds, in our society that says that the more successful we are, the more fun we're having, the more things that we're doing. If you work a 40-hour week, you think if I worked a 50-hour week, I'd do a little bit better. I'd be a little bit more successful. But it keeps on going. If you work a 70-hour week, you still think if I would just do 10 more hours, if I just do a little bit more, I'll be even more successful. I'll get more done. We think of that way. When we are uh, involved in sports or extracurricular activities, if I'm doing one thing, that's good. If I did three, that would be even better. And we fill every minute we have with things that we have to do, feel like we need to do in order for everything that needs to get done to be done. We put so much into our days that we can't breathe anymore. There's just so much to get done. And then you come to church. We used to sing, and I will use this song in jest sometimes when I'm around the house. We used to sing, we'll work till Jesus comes. Isn't that a comforting thought to somebody that's absolutely buried in work? We're going to work till Jesus comes. Well, isn't that special? And then you get a preacher that stands up in a pulpit that says that, We want to change the world, and here are the things that we've got to do, and the the things that have to happen, and the busyness we get into. And it all turns into a bit much, you know? We're a a busy lot of people. But that's why the ending of the Scripture is so good. Matthew, uh, not Matthew, I did that to Barry this week. Mark, Mark, Mark. Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, and then 30 through 32. I want to read the first part again to you, or we'll read it all to you again. It says and he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place and if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you. When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and appointed with oil many who were sick. And he healed them. And then go over to verse 30 through 32. And the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and talked. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place And rest a while for many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest there is a picture and I wish I could remember I never can remember the name of it but the first time I saw it I said I'm gonna go there one of these days it's in the Pacific Ocean. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's some hotel's resort, and there is nothing there. And the houses that you stay in are built. You walk out on a pier, and the houses, the huts, more or less, are built over the, over the ocean, and there's nothing there. It's just water, sand, sky. Sort of a desolate place, except a little luxury thrown in. But there's nothing there. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. What better sentence has ever been written? Jesus is telling his disciples to stop. To stop for a minute. Get away from it all. Tell everybody to go away. Quit bothering me. Give me some space. Let me stop. And notice here he said to go to a desolate place. I want you to think for just a second. When somebody tells you or you have a vacation coming up, Don't we generally, when we have that moment, we're going to get some time off, we've got some time away, don't we immediately start planning all the things that we've got to do during this vacation? We're going to have fun. We went to our big vacation in California, I don't know, six, eight, nine, ten years ago. I don't know how long it was now. And we had 10 days in California, and because we only had 10 days in California, we were on a schedule. And we went just like this. And we saw everything we wanted to see. And it was beautiful and we had a great vacation. But there was no rest on that vacation. I mean, if we decided to stay a little late here, we were going to miss the train. And if we missed that train, then how were we going to get over here to catch that train? It just, no. We had all this stuff to do. Take some time off and rest. We work harder at resting sometimes than we do working. Think about that. We work harder at resting than we do at working sometimes. And Jesus says, shut it all down. Stop. Rest. How many of us would like to hear Jesus say to us, come over here a minute and rest a while? Well, that's what he's done here. He said to his disciples, and that principle still works today, come away and rest a while. And if you look at this scripture like I do, you're going to see that this principle this principle applies on a variety of different levels. All right, look at what's going on here. Verse 7. Jesus calls the disciples together and he tells them to go get to work. Work to be done, boys. I've given you authority to work in my name, so get going. Get busy. Do what you know to do. He tells them not to spend an inordinate time getting ready for this. Just take the bare essentials and get on with it. And on the practical side, when I read this, I sort of see a good lesson in here. One of the neatest little books that I ever read was Robert Fulgham's All I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And it's really nothing more than a a collection of common sense proverbs put in in, in, uh, normal modern language. They're common sense proverbs. And there's something to be said about common sense. In our age, we've forgotten common sense. We've gone specialization crazy. We have to have experts to tell us how to do everything. And the church is no different. In the church, we have specialists that teach us how to raise funds. They teach us how to teach. They teach us how to do Sunday school. They teach us how to witness. They teach us how to conduct revivals. We're going to have uh, we're going to have a big celebration next year for the hundred and tenth anniversary of the church. We've got a specialist that's going to come out and show us how to pitch the tent outside. Specialist for everything. We've learned so much that we've really become dumb because we're afraid to do some of the things that we've been taught because we're not really trained in that area. We need a specialist to do this. But Jesus is telling them listen you've been prepared for two years now and some of us have been in the church and we've been prepared for 20 or 30 years now. You've been prepared for two years guys Use what you've been taught. Use your common sense and go. Just go. Don't spend a lot of time preparing. It says that God has given us enough common sense and he's trained us enough already to do a lot of things without additional specialization. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not preaching against education. Everybody ought to learn, take the opportunity to learn something to enhance your skills, but a lot of times we have those skills that just need enhancing. You always wanted to teach have people say that you always want to teach I just don't I don't think I could I don't know how and yet you'll teach one of your children or your grandchildren how to do something show them how you won't teach them because we use a different word I'm gonna show you how to do it and then they can do it well guess what you just did you just taught well I don't know how to witness I, I can't witness to people I don't know how and yet you'll talk to somebody You'll talk to somebody about problems that are going on in their lives, problems that have gone on in your your life, and you'll tell them, well, I prayed about it, and I prayed about it for a long time, and then it's like God answered my prayer, and this is what happened. Well, guess what you've just done? You've just witnessed. Two examples. A lot of what we think we need specialized training for would come out naturally if we just let it come out. It's common sense. It's what we've already learned. God gave it to us to use, and he empowers it for his glory. Now, in verse 12, he tells them to go out and preach that people should repent. And then my word starts popping up in verse 13. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. These guys were busy. They took their God-given authority, their common sense, their God-given talents. They trusted in Jesus to be faithful to do what he promised that he would do, and they went to work. But you know what happens? I said this to somebody outside a few minutes ago. Nothing succeeds like success. I told you all before the story of when I was in high school and I was in the drama, on the drama team and everybody made fun of us. I told you the story about my tights, right? I weighed 205 pounds and had to wear tights was I cute or what? And here I am on stage with the drama team and we're doing our thing and all 205 pounds of me stuffed into these tights. And the Army ROTC come marching through in the gym. And I thought, oh, please, please, please. Now, what's my point? <laughs> so we did that. We were, we were in a play and we had a really, good, really good performances. People liked it, got excited about what we did. The next year, there were more people in there. And that group went on to state competition and they won an award in state competition. The next year, you couldn't beat the people back from the door. Everybody wanted to join the drama team. Nothing succeeds like success. Well, these disciples are out there and they're having all kinds of success. They're doing what Jesus told them to do. They're using the talents he gave them. He is empowering that work. The more people they heal, the more people that come, the more success they have, the more they have to do. Doesn't that sound like us every day? The more you do, the more there is out there. And notice now, after they did all of this, at some predetermined time, they all knew to come back together again. And why did they do that? Well, first, they were a family. Being with Jesus was safe harbor it was some place that they could go and be among friends to be with people who are like-minded it's like coming to church we come to church for a lot of reasons but you know I like to go into the Sunday school classes and see how the Sunday school classes get along and we go to Sunday school classes and and uh, we've had several functions that Sunday school classes have had and we went and it's not a formal thing it's a bunch of friends getting together It's a safe place. Like-minded people. That's what's supposed to happen at church. And besides their need for companionship, they had a need for support. Verse 30 says the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. What do you think these disciples were doing when they came back? You think they were sharing their war stories to see who could get the most gold stars from Jesus? They were looking for affirmation and looking for support. They had these responsibilities that Jesus himself had given them, and now they were coming back to him saying things like, you won't believe this, but guess what happened? Or like, this is what I said to the guy, and it worked. Was that the right thing to do? Isn't that the kind of thing that we need to be doing in the church to grow each other's faith, to see God at work, to share what we see God doing, sharing that with one another? We should report to God himself every day ourselves and listen for his affirmation and guidance. Well, I don't know how to pray that way. You just talk to God. Tell him what went on that day. Let him affirm what was going on. On a family level, we need to be sharing our lives with each other every day. I know you've heard the statistic. Husbands and wives generally talk to each other less than 10 minutes every day. Now, I can understand maybe there's some people you don't want to talk to for 10 minutes every day. But for the most part, you know, you really can't learn much about your spouse in 10 minutes every day. When we consider that the vast majority of our time is spent away from home, in order for anybody to appreciate what's going on in our lives, if we don't tell them, how will they know? You can't get support until they know that you need support. We are supposed to report back like they did with Jesus. On a church level, we should come to church and share what's going on in our lives. We, we come to church to worship. We come to work, church to study. But this is a time for the family of God to tell of their experiences and their trials, to tell of their joys and their failures. It's a time that you make Bible study come alive. We can study until the cows come home, but until we put our studies into practice, all we are is educated people. I have gone to every Sunday school now, every Sunday school class now from our oldest class down to our youth. In each one of the Sunday school classes I have brought a poster and asked you on that poster to put the name of somebody that you would like to see in Sunday school with you. And I always, and I said in every one of the classes, whether you appreciated it or not the way I said it, I said in each one of your classes not to put down people that you just thought of, but to put down people that you cared about. And the way I said to do that was, think about it this way. If they were involved in a car accident, if you say to yourself, oh, that's, that's bad, I hope they're okay, do not put them on that list because you really don't care. You care, but you don't really care. But if they have a car accident and you think to yourself, man, I need to do something, I need to see them, I need to take to, I need to... Do that's the one to put on the list. That's somebody that you really, really care about. And then once you put those names on that list, all I asked you to do was to pray for those people. I didn't ask you to witness, start a campaign, go to -to door-to-door, send cards, send letters, send emails, tweet them, Facebook them. I didn't ask you to do anything but pray. And once you pray for them, I believe with all of my heart that God is going to move in somebody's life to reach out to these folks. He may move in your life. He may move in somebody else's life To, to reach out to these folks because they need to hear Jesus. It's within God's will to want people in his house, to want people saved. And now to my point, once those things happen, we need to share that with one another because, see, when we see God at work, that's what builds our faith. We can study for years. I mean, I've got academic teaching. I've got a master's degree from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. I used to could read the book in its original language. Notice I said used to. Could do all of that. And that's all fine, well, and good, and I need to be able to do all of that. But until I see God doing what is in this book then the trust level's not quite there. Owners, a driver's manual, drivers learning to drive a car. You can study in that book until the cows come home. You can study and study and study it. Teenagers do it all the time, but when you sit behind the wheel, it suddenly gets hard, you know? And then you see other people do it. If they can do it, I can do it. It's how our faith grows. And that's what's happening here is they come back and they share their stories with one another. That builds up their faith. It makes us stronger. It shows everybody around you that God is true to his word, that it increased our trust in him. If we're doing nothing but studying and we never ever do any reporting back to one another, we might as well pack up and go home. James says, faith without works is dead. James is spot on. Our trust in God has increased when we hear and see God working around us in everybody's lives, we need to come together and share those stories. But beyond all of that, like I said earlier, it's the ending of the story that attracted me to it. It was the ending where Jesus said, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. One of the most important parts of a job is the part where you rest. A friend of mine was a bookkeeper. This was back in the day, you know, not computer bookkeeper, but paper bookkeeper. And they had a mistake in their books, and they couldn't balance. And it wasn't a huge mistake; it was a little bitty mistake, and they couldn't find it. And they went over the books, and went over the books, and went over the books. Brought the books home from work, sat at the table at night, worked on the books, worked on the books, worked. On the books, could not find it, driving her crazy. Finally, got so frustrated, she said, "Forget it. I'm going to bed. I'll deal with this tomorrow." So she goes to bed, she gets up, she comes in the morning, she flips open the book, and there's the error that slapped her right in the face. Just so obvious she couldn't believe that she'd done that. Sometimes it takes that rest. She took a deep breath, she stepped away for a while, then she got back, there was the error. Rest is like that. It gives us a chance to recharge. you all heard Jerry Falwell's theory of the clenched fist an excellent, excellent, don't get turned off by Jerry Falwell. He was a pretty good preacher. He knew a lot about church growth. He has this principle of the clenched fist. Take your fist like this and clench it and squeeze just as hard as you can squeeze and just keep on squeezing and see how long you can hold it. And just squeeze and keep holding that fist just as long as you can hold it. And just squeeze and squeeze and squeeze. And after a while, that hand will start trembling and you'll break out in a little bit of sweat. But you can hold it for a little bit longer, you know. But I can get there. I can keep going. Then a little while, you'll, oh, I can't do that anymore. Oh, my hand's cramping. Oh, I can't do that anymore. Take your hand like this and do this. Do it all day long do it all night, I can do it tomorrow do it all day long because God built us to rest he built us to take a sack of, away from everything to recharge a lot of times we keep working long after our efficiency has gone to sleep to make things better we think we keep going and we make things worse and it's because God did not design us that way He designed us to work hard for a season and then to stop and step away and rest. God rested on the seventh day. Shouldn't we rest too? But in our culture, we're programmed to work, 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 do, 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 go, go, go. And Jesus says to work, but then he says, come back home and rest a while. Rest makes us physically strong, Rest makes us spiritually strong. Wise men said, make an appointment with yourself. Purpose in your heart right now to do that in this season, this Thanksgiving, this Christmas. Make an appointment with yourself. Don't tell me you can't. You just don't know what I've got to do. Do you know what I do know? Almost everything you do is a choice that you make. You have a, You have the right, you have the ability to make your choices. Make an appointment with yourself. During the holiday season, there's going to be so many things going on around you, many responsibilities to be carried out. There will be many things to distract you. Things that will cause you to miss the joy that the, the holiday season holds. How many times, folks, have you gotten to Christmas and thought to yourself, it'll be over tomorrow. Tell me I'm wrong. We shouldn't be that way. We miss the joy that God's trying to give us. Make an appointment with yourself and don't feel guilty because you sit down to rest. Sit down to stop for a minute. You let the cookies go this time. I just didn't make the cookies because I was going to take 10 minutes and and pray for 10 minutes. Sit down and think about my family for 10 minutes. Sit down and enjoy what's going on for 10 minutes. Don't feel guilty about doing that. In fact, if you've just got to feel guilty about something, feel guilty because you didn't. Don't need to feel guilty make yourself do that. We complain that we don't hear the voice of God. How in the world can you hear the voice of God when you're running wide open all the time? He doesn't have time to talk to you. You're flying right by him. Stop. Make an appointment with with yourself to meet with God, to meet with your family. You don't have to do everything. Well, somebody might be disappointed if we don't have that salad that's got the so-and-so-and-so-and-so so-and-so on it. I bet they live. <laughs> they can live with their disappointment. They'll make it. I bet you'll have so much there that they probably can make up for it. Listen to God's blessing for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Rest. Peace. That's God's gift for us this season. Make an appointment with yourself to step away from the many, many things that you've got to do so you can rest and experience the peace of God. You might be surprised just how God will bless you for making that choice. This is a season to enjoy. Stop. Enjoy the beauty of the things around you. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your children. Lean back for a moment and realize the blessings that God has given to you. We're moving so fast we don't see them. We get depressed. We get overworked. We get tired. It's your choice to be that way. Stop it. Jesus told his disciples, go to a desolate place and rest. This holiday season, make an appointment with yourself to do that. Father, I pray that you give us the courage and the strength to do that. Lord, there's a lot of pressure. I I think there's probably more pressure on the women this time of the year than there are the men because... As sexist as I guess it probably is, they're the ones in are cooking and they're the ones in are cleaning and they're the ones in are getting ready. I guess that sort of stresses us guys out too because they start giving us all the stuff that we're supposed to do to make it happen. And we feel such a burden that these things must occur. And Lord, a lot of it needs to occur. I'm not saying that. But Father, give us those moments. remind us To be still and know that you're God. And to each week, stop as we get close to to Christmas and enjoy that, that peace. To enjoy the joy. To enjoy the anticipation. To experience the rapture of knowing that there is a Messiah that is coming. Cause this to happen in us, Father. Help us. Sometimes we can't help ourselves. Open our eyes, Lord. And help us see Jesus and his blessings during this holiday season. In Christ's name, amen. One of the things that we, I don't know, make your Christmas better is the fact that when Christmas was started, it came to us because a baby was to be born and that baby was our, was our Messiah. He grew up to be Jesus who for three years taught and then was crucified and was buried and then was resurrected. And he did that for our sins. And he tells us in the scripture through his word that if we trust in him, He will wash away our past. All of the things that that we've done that are wrong, that burden our brains, that make us feel guilty, that have caused sometimes horrible things to happen in our lives, he washes those things away. And he gives us a new life. And he says that I'll come and I will live with you and I will guide you. And when that day comes for you to die, I'll take you to heaven. I will be with you all the time, he says. Our part in that is to trust him in his word. He says he will do it. Trust him in his word. This morning I ask you, if you've not trusted Jesus as your Savior, make this the morning. All you do is tell him, forgive me of my sins, Lord. I know who I am in front of you. Please be my Savior. And if you've done that, I ask you to come forward if you want to join the church. Like I've told you half a dozen times, probably much more than that, you have two minutes before we walk out those doors. Stop. Rest. Let God speak to you in those two minutes. Let's stand.